Ace in a Hole. Peggy Austin was a new millennium grandmother. Her slim build showed no stoop, her bobbed hair showed no grey, and her voice and manner exuded confidence. She had reared three children without a man and had learned from the University of Life, which has no walls. At 49, she was now determined to enjoy every scrap of life left to her. Fun bloody tastic was her usual exuberant response to being asked how she was, and this would be accompanied by a wide smile. Peggy had moved her family around during her 20 years as a single mum. She had tried her hand at hairdressing, sales, small businesses, and had finally finished up part owner in a large and successful real estate office. The tyranny of distance was her only enemy. Mum, why don't you sell up in Brisbane and come down here? You could get a small house in the suburbs. The kids really miss you. This was the enticement rendered by her family, and indeed she would have considered it seriously if it hadn't been for the fact that the question was asked by all three of her children who lived happy lives in Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide. So she continued living in the city she now loved, doing the job she liked and socialising with friends she enjoyed. Yes, on the whole, life was pretty good. Like most people, she had gravitated to friends who were in similar situations to herself. For the most part, divorcees and widows and widowers made up the greater part of her social circle. There had been special men in the past, some associated with passion, but most, as was the situation now, merely friendship, where company was enjoyed, but with no sense of obligation. And then, Barry Altman came back into her life. She had met Barry many years before, when he had been an accountant in a small retail company. Their friendship had blossomed into an affair, and the affair had been quite intense while it lasted. Then, almost like a rerun of a B-grade movie, Peggy had found out about the wife. I'm sorry, Barry. I've got my scruples. I was at the end of being the deceived wife for too many years now not to know how it hurts, she had said on the night she had confronted Barry with her knowledge. Look, it's a marriage in name only. I mean, we've been talking about a divorce for years. He had pleaded. So when you stop talking and start doing, come back and talk to me, had been her biting response. She hadn't seen him since. Nevertheless, she had felt a well of excitement when she saw his tall, lean frame standing at the bar of the golf club. She had only fairly recently joined the club and knew few of the members. Even so, she recognised him instantly. Well, at least I know my libido isn't dead she thought to herself as she walked over towards him. Hello, stranger. What are you doing here? Hello, stranger. What are you doing here? Both spoke much the same greeting at the same time and relaxed in laughter. Barry nodded to the barman. I've just been telling Leo here that I've been overseas on business, but I've just bought a small unit on the outskirts of the city. Thought I'd enjoy a snatch of R&R on the golf course occasionally. <laughs> I didn't know you were a golfer. He looked at Peggy, his eyes showing admiration at her appearance and pleasure at having met her again. Oh, very intermittent. Always on the move and busy. I'm a new member like you, but I've just taken over a small house nearby, so 
I'm hoping to get out a lot more in future. I intend to improve my handicap by the time the championships start next month. Leo interrupted with easy banter. Gee, I wish I had a buck for every time I'd heard that one. And Peggy laughed along with her companion. Well, I must admit, unfortunately, I've never had the time to take the game seriously. But like they say, I don't mind interrupting a good walk by brandishing an iron once in a while. The newfound friend spent the evening catching up with news. Barry was quick to tell her that he was now a widower, his wife having died a few years before. He worked in personal insurance, which he said gave him a great deal of satisfaction. Peggy told of the recent additions to her family and regret that she couldn't visit with them more often. Well, you'll have to let me come round and talk to you about some of our policies. Barry had been quick to interject, giving her a standard business card with little more than a mobile number in neat print. There are some excellent deals for grandparents sending up provisions for their grandchildren. Peggy nodded good-naturedly. Both knew it was merely an excuse to get together again. They met after work in a small restaurant the following Friday. It was a pleasant evening, only marred by Peggy's indecision as to what to do when the meal was over. She had first thought she would invite him back to her small house, overlooking the golf course. A bottle of wine on the balcony could have prefaced a lovely romantic night to follow, yet it would also start an affair that would complicate her already full life. Not only that, but there was something about Barry that had changed. Or maybe it was the change in her. When he drove her back home, she took hold of his hand in a warm handshake, accompanied by an equally affectionate kiss on the cheek. Barry, it's been delightful. Keep in touch. We must do it again sometime. Her companion stiffened in surprise. Aren't you going to invite me in for a drink? No, sweetie, I think those days are over. Time under the bridge and that sort of thing, she said as she got out of the car. She turned back to him and softened the remark by saying, But I have your number, so I'll give you a call sometime soon. Take care. Conscious that the car remained motionless, for a while after she had entered her front door, Peggy smiled at herself wistfully in the hall mirror. Perhaps the libido had gone after all. Whatever it was that she had found attractive in Barry had diminished. Now that she was back in her home, alone, she was sure she had made the right decision. Barry obviously thought otherwise. Much to Peggy's astonishment, Barry would not leave her alone. To begin with, she had been mildly amused and complimented, but after a number of refusals by phone and in person when meeting at the golf club, it was apparent that he would not take no for an answer. Apart from anything else, he was becoming extremely aggressive in his sales pitch too. Look, <clears throat> if you don't want to see me socially, that's okay. At least, though, let me advise you about proper policies for your grandkids. He had whined on more than one occasion, even though Peggy had continually told him that provision had been made for them long ago. Then one day, his manner changed again. This time, it was decidedly different. He almost insisted they meet at a quiet bar just outside the city. It will be in your best interest, he had said in what had seemed to Peggy an almost sinister tone. 
Deciding to end the matter once and for all, she agreed to the meeting. Barry was seated in a small alcove when she walked into the small, intimate bar, but this time there was no roguish smile on his face. He looked stern, and his middle age hung gaunt over his features. Not even waiting to order a drink, she began by saying as gently as she could, Barry, I think you should know, I'm not attracted to you any more, and also, her words were cut off as Barry put a large envelope in front of her. Look at these before you say anything. His voice was cold and impersonal. Although angry at his commandeering attitude, she did as she had been told. Picking up the envelope, she could feel photographs inside. She was curious. They had never been the type of couple to exchange such things. Even in the low light of the bar, she recognized herself immediately. She was naked and in very compromising positions. The photographs were of her and Barry making love in the cheap unit Barry had lived in when she had first met him. The body was life and nubile, and the face full of passion, but there was little doubt that it was Peggy. From the look of it, the camera had been mounted on a wall, a shelf maybe. She felt sick and bewildered. Where on earth did you get them? Her voice hardly betrayed the disgust she felt. I used to activate it by a remote. I kept it hidden from you, obviously. Barry's voice was almost proud of his prowess at secrecy. Technology improved so much that we can now take stills from videos. But why? Barry looked at Peggy with a mixture of emotions on his face. All right. I admit, it wasn't very nice. <laughs> I suppose you could call me a dirty old man, but I really cared for you back then and couldn't get enough of you especially when I wasn't getting any sex at home. His eyes began to shift around the room as he now spoke with a degree of embarrassment. She had the money and I was in debt, but she was a tight bitch. Wouldn't even give me an allowance. And they began to hound me at work once they knew she was sick. Thought I'd be taking too much time off to play nursemaid. Your wife was sick? You said she was always nagging. Yes, she was, always. But unfortunately, I guess she had reason to be bad-tempered. She was in pain a lot of the time, apparently. His voice went low before adding, It was cancer. She was one of the ones that hung on a long time. Cancer? You were screwing around with me when your wife was sick with cancer? Peggy's voice conveyed the contempt she felt as she looked with loathing at the man beside her. He began talking in bursts of condemnation against his bad luck, his entrapment, and many other aspects that Peggy had no idea about. She sat and listened, her body cold, her brain numb. Her ex-lover was finally showing himself to be what he was, a liar, a sneak, and a person with little moral intention. He had stayed with his wife for only one thing, her money. When she had died, he had received what he had considered to be his reward, but by his account, not as much as he had anticipated. A few bad business deals since then, and he was now broke and, again, in debt. Peggy threw the photographs back at him with contempt. What do you aim to do with them? Well, obviously I can circulate them everywhere. His voice took on a more authoritative timbre. 
some of those photos are pretty hot. Raunchy, actually. <laughs> Not only will you lose respect, but once people knew you were screwing me whilst my wife was dying with cancer, you won't look too good at all, will you? Peggy felt gore rise in her mouth. She had left him as soon as she knew he had a wife, let alone a dying one. But how could you prove that so many years later? So, what's the deal? Well, for one thing, you can take out some of my more lucrative policies for the grandkids. He said as he began putting the photos away. And of course I would expect you to talk all of your colleagues and friends into much the same deal. You can't expect me to persuade people to do that. Oh, yes, you can, if enough depends on it. And then you and me can talk over a few financial arrangements. And perhaps a, a few social ones as well. <laughs> the last was delivered with what Peggy would have once thought to be a charming smile, but was now nothing more than lecherous. In as controlled a state as she could muster, Peggy said... All right, you seem to have me at a disadvantage, and so long as the financial arrangements aren't too excessive, I guess I can manage the other conditions. Barry smiled. That's the idea. When you get down to it, you'll find I'm very reasonable. Look, I'll give you all the photos and the negatives. Won't even keep a copy for myself, unless you say I can for old times' sake. <laughs> he added with a wink. Peggy stood up. I'll need a little time. Give me the insurance paperwork, and when I've had a good look at it, I'll dream up some good reasons for some of the office staff to get involved. I'll get back to you. I'll give you a week. We'll meet same time, same place, next Friday. He handed over the sheaf of papers that had been rejected so casually by Peggy before. She nodded, then, taking up the folder, left abruptly, without even saying goodbye. When she got home, she sank into a flood of tears and self-recrimination. In one brief evening, her world had toppled. On the one hand, she could call Barry's bluff and let the photographs and gossip take its toll. But he was right. Her family, friends and working colleagues would and could never treat her with respect again. At best, she would be a laughingstock. At worst considered cheap and callous towards a dying woman. People found her a little quiet over the next few days, commenting on her red eyes and blotched face with concern. She carried a handkerchief constantly and blamed it on a spring cold and possibly hay fever. She received sympathy and a dozen home cure remedies, which she promised to try. On Friday morning she rang Barry on the mobile number he had given her and begged off their evening meeting with the same excuse. It could well have been true, for she had experienced difficulty in breathing all week, together with unaccustomed headaches. She promised faithfully to meet up with him within a few days. He had responded with a degree of suspicion. Look, if you're trying to chicken out, remember, I've still got the photographs. The deal's the same. Peggy assured him this was not the case. So long as you're patient... I think I can do a lot of good in the office and outside. As you say, I move in circles where it's not unusual for people to start thinking positively of what to do with their accrued income. It may as well go your way as any other. She also told him she had experienced a change of heart about their social relationship. 
After all, it would be nice to have a regular good-looking lover and companion again. Life was too short to hold grudges. Peggy suggested they meet on Monday afternoon for a round of golf. Then they could have a meal in the club restaurant. It was always quiet on a Monday. Good for privacy. Well, if it's privacy you're after, why don't we just order in some Chinese? And we can start on that socialising straight away at your place. I'll settle for the golf at the moment. And if I'm feeling any better on Monday, we can talk about the rest. Barry reluctantly agreed then quizzed her on her handicap. <laughs> no need to worry, love. I don't think I'll be any threat. Remember, I've moved around a lot all my life. Never really had chance to take the game seriously. I look forward to seeing you in action, Barry. You've always been a natural athlete. He had demurred with modesty before she added as an afterthought. Let's meet halfway. I'll meet you at the tenth hole. It's always my nemesis. <laughs> I always seem to get stuck in the bunker. Maybe you can show me a few tricks. Then we can continue on to the 18th and maybe come back here for that Chinese meal. With the last remark, he was far more enthusiastic. So once a time had been established, they hung up. She put the telephone down with a tight smile. Life was indeed precious. She had used it effectively during the last two weeks, but now it was time for further planning. She needed as much free time as possible to practice. She went out into the back garden, mowed the grass carefully, then set up some targets. Her usual vigour was returning. Monday was a cold, crisp day, and Peggy felt excited and nervous. She did a few routine chores as quickly as possible, then spent an hour in meditation. She was sitting on her balcony with a cup of coffee in the afternoon when she saw Barry's car turn through the gate and drive slowly up to the clubhouse. She knew the course so well she could almost estimate to the minute what time his buggy would appear in sight of the tenth hole. It was right in her line of vision and over the years had played a big part in her practice swings. She hadn't exaggerated. The sand bunker was deceptive and not only she, but most club members had lost more balls there than anywhere else on the course. In fact, it was a family recreation to hop over the fence when the grandkids visited and turn it into an afternoon activity, paying them ten cents for every ball found. As expected, Barry had turned up a good deal earlier than arranged, and after a good swig from a flask concealed in his vest pocket, began a few practice runs on and around the green. He hadn't lost his competitive spirit. It was obvious he was determined to show off to her when she arrived. The sun was just beginning to dip behind her when she saw him look at his watch, then use his binoculars to scan the grounds back to the club. She rang him on the mobile and watched as he answered. Barry... I'm sorry, I've been held up and his voice cut in cold and nasty. Look, if you're stalling on a deal... No, of course not. I was merely ringing to ask you to wait another ten minutes or so. Have you got the photos and the negatives? Of course I have, sweetheart. I don't let them out of my sight. Good. We can look at them together. Maybe have a giggle for old time's sake. 
She watched as he got into the buggy, and yes, true to form, she saw him put his hand to his vest pocket and remove the pocket flask, then lifting it to his lips as if slaking a deep thirst. She put the mobile down and took a deep breath. She was ready. The next morning she lay in bed until quite late. It was unusual for her to be so tardy, but she felt tired and lethargic and emotionally drained. Last night had been busy and she had needed all her skills. Adrenaline had pumped through her veins, keeping her on edge and on guard. Knowing she would not sleep naturally, she had taken a couple of sleeping pills. They had taken effect right into mid-morning. Even when fully awake, she had idled her time. She had needed that time to replete her energy, both in mind and body. When she finally got up, she rang in sick at the office, saying she was going to try out everyone's remedy as a final pitch against her cold. Putting the phone down, she spent time luxuriating in a long shower. Then got dressed, slowly, carefully. Finally, about noon, with her heart pounding, she walked up the driveway to the clubhouse. Making her way over to the bar, she noted a certain sense of excitement in the air. Leo was mixing cocktails for a couple at the far end. As soon as he was done, he came over. Terrible news about Ace, isn't it? Peggy looked puzzled. Ace? Ace who? Barry Altman, the guy you were talking with a few weeks ago. I knew him as Ace. We were both members of the same club down south. Once, he got an ace in one. He never stopped bragging about it. That's why he got the title ace. But then, what with the heavy drinking, he was always in debt. He became known as Ace in a Hole. So, what's happened to him? You haven't heard? Leo looked at her sympathetically. Taking a quick look around the bar to ensure nobody was listening, he added... I'm afraid he got really badly injured last night. Freak accident. He was at the tenth when he got hit by a stray ball. A couple, as a matter of fact. Uh, You can imagine what damage a ball can do when it's going full pelt. Apparently he was a goner before the ambos got to him. Oh my God! Peggy put her hands to her mouth in shock. How awful! Who did it? We don't know. It was dusk, almost dark. Could have been anyone. We had a lot of regular members and visitors yesterday. Whoever it was couldn't have had much confidence. They must have hit off a good half dozen or more at the same time. And the balls were no clue. They they were resales. Mind you, they reckon it was liver damage that was the problem. He'd already had one kidney removed. Yet they say he'd been imbibing even on the course. A contender for AA was Barry, though he'd never admit it. But I guess you probably knew that. He was a close friend, wasn't he? Peggy stared at him with surprise. No, no, not at all. Like you, I used to know him years ago, casually. Then we met here by accident, if you remember, a few weeks ago. But after talking over old times, we decided we hadn't much in common. Leo nodded. Hmm, that makes sense. I mean, he wasn't the kind of guy I expected you to go for. What do you mean? Well, you're always so easygoing, but he's always been so pushy and competitive, and he's becoming a pain in the bum trying to sell those dodgy insurance contracts. Quite frankly, I I don't think many people here will mourn him. A few club members came in and he turned to serve them. 
the conversation was repetitive, and Leo was right. People were curious, rather than upset. Downing her drink, Peggy walked out of the clubhouse towards the driveway. A few golfers walked in from the car park and waved companionably. Halfway down the drive, Peggy skirted the small bush-filled island, which forced the cars to slow down over the speed bump. Then she veered to the left over the well-kept nature strip. The back of her house was clearly in view, standing on a large expanse of land that edged onto the club grounds. She climbed a small fence that kept the two apart. She walked into the house, throwing her bag down on the chair. The bag of spare second-hand balls and golf clubs were where she had dumped them the evening before. She put on the jug for a cup of tea and, whilst waiting for water to boil, began cleaning the clubs before putting them away in the cupboard. In a moment of nostalgia, she took out a scrapbook pushed to the back. She smiled to herself, glad she had never been tempted to show it all off down at the club. The album started with a photograph cutting from a small local newspaper in Victoria. It had been intended to show herself as a small child being coached by her father. They both had the same look of determination on their face. Focus, the sportsman called it nowadays. From the accounts in the national papers, it was obvious her dad was no slouch to the game. But then, by time she was only a little older, nor was she. Headlines and photographs showed her to be winning junior, then senior championships and trophies, everyone predicting a great future. And just as suddenly they stopped. These were her marriage years, her motherhood years, when she had gone from youth to middle age, from blonde to grey, and from slim to mature. Yes, as a struggling single parent she had enjoyed little free time, but it had always been used on her one constant passion. It was only lately, with the easing of financial and time restraints, she had begun to play regularly, ready to enjoy a game in which she knew she excelled. She turned the pages looking at later photographs, showing her through the years, different states, different towns, different club dinners, but she was always clutching a trophy. Peggy stood up and made her way to the cabinet she laughingly called her treasure trove, her silver mine. Silver wasn't worth much these days, but her memories were priceless. She sighed. Yes, it had been a nasty evening and a genuine accident. Her directed aim had been intended as no more than a warning. When she had made her way over the back fence onto the golf course to confront him, she had been horrified to find him slumped over the wheel of the buggy. She had tried a little CPR, but it was pretty obvious he was dead. Although there had been a surprisingly large number of casual players during the day, the course had been clear. It would have taken a good ten minutes' brisk walk back to the clubhouse. She had scooped up the briefcase on the seat beside him then checked around the cart for the half-dozen balls she knew would have her own initials. She had found them easily enough, but had also noted, with surprise, there were a good many others. Amateurs, trying to make the tenth hole before the light had diminished. On getting home, she had thought long and hard about her own involvement, but her confidence could not be shattered. 
She knew she had aimed at the buggy itself, not at Barry. She took one final look at all of her trophies, different shapes and sizes, amassed over so many years, yet all carrying the same inscription. Peggy Austin, whole in one. You have been listening to Ace in a Hole, written and produced by Brianda Cross, performed by Richard Edwards and David Pollard from Hand to Mouth Theatre. If you have enjoyed this presentation, please be kind and give us a review on your favourite podcast. Thank you.